Carlos and, and Felipe are both ingenieros. When I see them again, I always, you know, say ingeniero, you know, because that's a title. That's like saying Don Julio, you know, that's like saying Father Father Murphy, you know, Sister Mary, you know, <laughs> Sister Mary Rosetta Stone. You know, you <laughs> earn those titles, right? Well, if hanging out and drinking is something that you want to do, well, let me introduce you to my boys, Matt and Drew. For fun and laughs and spirits, there's just one place to go. It's time for the Whiskey Tequila Friday Show. Whiskey Tequila Friday Show with my boys, Matt and Drew. Happy Friday, Drew. Happy Friday, Matt. And happy Friday to everybody out there. And welcome once again to another exciting episode of Whiskey Tequila Fridays, our podcast where we drink some whiskey. We drink some tequila. We educate. And we libate. All right. My name is Matt. I am the uncertified whiskey hunter. And with me, as always, my agave amigo, Drew. How are you today? I'm excited for this one, Matt. Yeah, this is great. We are once again flying via zoom ways because we've got another great guest why don't you introduce our guest i am very excited to welcome mike morales of tequila aficionado to the show today mike has been with tequila aficionado for what 20 years he is a master taster of tequila agave spirit educator and influencer he is a consultant he has a long-running tasting show, Sipping Off the Cuff, more than a 1,000 episodes. It's got to be getting close to 2,000 episodes. We are honored to have Mike here with us today. And I know, Mike, you get your podcast started. You guys just start talking. What do you want to talk about today? You know, you guys, how did you guys come together and, and decide that you were going to go from whiskey to, to, you know, like migrate between whiskey and tequila and kind of flow back and forth? How did that work out? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I, I had I had had a kind of a dream or a passion to do some kind of a podcast. And I had approached a few of my whiskey friends and they were all like, no, no, they had no interest whatsoever. And I, I approached Drew and I had had Drew over for a few tastings just to kind of introduce him to whiskey and kind of bring him back from the, you know, the old nightmares of shots at a bar or fraternity, you know, that was the extent of his whiskey knowledge, right? And so I was trying to reintroduce him into the whiskey world. And um and when I approached the idea to him, he was he was like, well, you know, he invited me over to his house and he sent me down and had some tequila on the table and said, well, what if we did you know, a podcast with both. And I just, I was like, yes, this is, this is perfect, <laughs> you know? And it, it was only during those, uh, those experiences, just, you know, spending time together and, and hanging out and sipping back and forth that we actually started to realize that sipping one and then sipping the other brought out more than just the original flavors that we were getting by the spirit alone. Uh -huh. That if you if you paired a, a nice earthy blanco with a maybe like a, a spicy rye, that it it wasn't a plus b equals a b. It was a plus b equals seventy four. 
Like it was just completely different, you know, it were new, new things and new flavors and new challenges. So yeah, it was a real natural progression from there. Yeah. It sounds like, um, uh, what some folks do with, uh, with cigar pairings. I don't know if either one of you enjoy cigars. Most whiskey guys do. Uh, and I know we, I do, I'm lucky if I can get, you know, carve out like an hour a month before, you know, so <laughs> I can just go outside and have a cigar, but, uh, I've been lucky, you know, February, I actually got two cigars in, but it's very similar because, you know, a pairing, uh, it's like pairing anything, you know, sure. mezcals with cigars, mezcals with the charcuterie, you know, or meats and nuts and fruits. It's, uh, tequilas with desserts. Uh, and in cigar pairing, it's always it's always about you know how can we dovetail one on the onto the other or layer one on top of the other so that so that the presentation is is not, so they're not conflicting with each other so, you know they they yeah. they actually right. complement each other. Yeah, we've been known to pair some things other than the two spirits, and don't want to incriminate anybody that might be <laughs> listening to the Zoom, but we've dabbled in cigars and even maybe some raspberries or chocolates and different things. But you know, our real passion is is what these two spirits bring out in each other. I commend both of you guys because I'll, I'll throw in some some tequila history that you may or may not be aware of. Herradura tequila, back in the day before Brown Foreman bought it and Brown Foreman did, um, and prior to its use of the diffuser, the matriarch of the family that owned the brand was the one that invented the reposado. And so it was her idea to rest Blanco tequila in barrels that were Jack Daniels barrels, because her idea was to attract the Jack Daniels public. Because again, even in those days, the United States was the largest consumer, uh, the, the largest market that had not been tapped the way it is now. And so one, you know, I know we're feel, we're recording this a day after Mother's Day. So she was the mother, the matriarch of the family. <laughs> and two, what a great mind. You know, um, if you know anything about tequilas um, in from that region of Amatitan, which is where the, the distillery is located, they're very earthy, a lot of minerals. Uh, I remember those old tequilas like like it was yesterday and they were so delicious. To me, it's one of my favorite um, regions. You know, you, you have what they consider lowlands and they throw in the valley as part of the tequila lowlands. But to me, right. they're they're three separate Tawar. Then you have the Highlands, and then you have that golden triangle of the three different towns. Where if you once you've had enough of these tequilas from the three different towns, you can discern which ones are closer to the one in Amatitan. But anything for me, if it says Amatitan in it, I want it. And and so that tequila in those days was very uh, earthy and minerally because it's volcanic. You know, nothing was over farmed and overproduced like it is now. Mm -hmm. So and and the plants were be probably growing around eight years at that point. So they were really gamey, you know. And then the reposado was aged in Jack Daniels barrels to to round out the edges to to, you know, the, it acquired the, the flavors, uh, some of the flavors from the Jack Daniels barrels. And then, you know, and then here you guys are uh, <laughs> experimenting with. With what's going on now, you know, in the in in that in that area. Oh wow, that is amazing. That's a little piece of history we didn't know. And and funny thing is, we I don't know if we've dropped it yet, but we actually recorded an old school Herradura Reposado with a Jack Daniels. Uh, Matt, what what was that bottle? Yeah, it was a Jack Daniels single barrel rye. Oh my gosh! And you remember? 
I hope I'm not ruining something that we didn't drop yet. But we kept <laughs> talking back and forth about how amazing they were together. Yeah, we really enjoyed that pairing. And I yeah, it's it's a good one. Now they're doing amazing things with barrels. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, whiskey barrels and bourbon barrels and 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 wine barrels now. I, I like I said, I commend you guys for for kind of like reverse engineering. Have yeah. you guys ever done a pairing where it just fell flat on its face? It's like, oh, this is wrong. This I can't. Yeah, you know, have you ever? Yeah, well, you, yeah. I mean, you ever mispaired something? When we started, it was mm-hmm. it was more uh, random bottles. I would bring one, he would bring one, and we would kind of see what happens. And it was only as we were maybe coming across some that were better than others that we realized, yeah, we should do some homework, you know, and, and <laughs> prepare these two and, and try some different things before we record. Because, because yeah, there were, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they were duds, but they, they weren't as strong as some, some just stuck out like, you know, like I said, just a completely different experience when, when you put them together. Well, and, and I, I would imagine you have to look at also the, 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 the barrel proof as well, you know, barrel strength versus 80 proof, you know, and whatever degrees. I know even in Blancos, it's that way. You know, you can have a 110, a 100 proof. Yeah. Speaking of high proof, we have already done a high proof Blanco lineup. And then we also, on top of that, want to pair each of those bottles because they're so great we want to pair them with a high proof whiskey but drew explain how we kind of changed the proof differences even when we were sipping back and forth right 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 so yeah as we're sipping back and forth and we're doing our uh, trademarked quick sips and zoom won't pick up the high porn so let's not even try (laughs) (laughs) you know that's a situation mike where we figured out that we had to take in more of the tequila, a bigger sip of the tequila and a smaller sip of the higher proof bourbon or whiskey or rye or whatever we're tasting that day so that it was kind of like volume times proof equals heat (laughs) in our mouth. And so, um, yeah, we have done plenty of high proof barrel proof and, and we're excited to release more. We already did episode 23 with the Blancos. Uh, A while back, we did episode 22, Matt's High Proof Bourbon, and now we're going to be pairing the two together. So we're excited for that. Have you guys tried anything in wine barrels at all? Oh, sure. We So we've done a, have we, I'm not sure if we've had the winter blend in wine barrels on the show. And Excelia, that's one of my favorites. That yeah. Just what an amazing taste profile. We we really like that. You know, one. they invented aging in in different barrels. I mean, uh, they they were they were aging what they would call what what eventually became an extra añejo. They were doing that in cognac barrels long before it was even a, a, a an expression. You know, long before it was ever uh, categorized by by the CRT. Oh, I did not realize that they invented the extra añejo. That was one of our favorites, right, Matt? You remember that? And we had the bottles from eleven thirty nine. Yeah, we we were really fans of those. And hopefully, you know, no, now that they've moved, we we are hoping that it's still good because. We are fans of not only the Excelia, but even El Tesoro in general. Yeah, everything that Carlos Camarena puts out. 
right now, Carlos Camarena, the the master distiller of of Tapatio and and El Tesoro de Don Felipe and all those other ones, has has he's still supervising that project. Plus, there's a new distillery for Tequila Ocho, which mm-hmm. had just just opened its doors officially. Uh, I believe in May or late April, and um, that their expressions, you know, of course. The, they have some aged expressions, but the idea is, and, and I don't know, you guys tell me, I, I know the idea for, for those single estate, the vintage idea was something that Tomas Estes um, uh, brought to the brought to the forefront in, in the categories, along with Carlos. So Carlos being a, an agave grower, what the idea was to distill the tequila to present the agave that they were growing. You know what I mean? It, so they, they they weren't trying to hide it. They were trying to enhance it. So the barrel, you know, the, the time in the barrel is is minimal. Uh, it's just enough to 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 round out of some edges and and bring you know and present the quality of the of the agave. Do you guys lean toward that? Do you appreciate that, or or are, are you still are you do you like your spirits darker? Because there there are other tequilas with you know a lot darker. And longer times in the barrel. So, how is this working out for your for your pairings? So it's funny when I first had Matt over to taste tequila. I had a Fortaleza Blanco. I had a couple of Reposados, and I thought for sure he would lean towards the añejos. And he kept saying, "Well, let's have a little bit more of that Fortaleza Blanco. Let's let's have a little bit more of that." So. You know, I don't know if you can see over his shoulder. I think he's got yeah, I can, yeah. Three three Blancos, a Widow Jane, and what is that? Is that a Siete Repo? Yeah. Yeah. We we love the Blancos. And man, with Ocho, there's no shortage. Every single you know, every single release is just slightly different than the last. They've got quite a marketing, you know, quite a marketing well, game know, there too, right? Because well, now I gotta buy four Blancos any- every year. Right, but it's not any different than what they're doing with mezcal. Sure, you, I, I I think you have a mezcal right there. Is that yeah. La Luna? That yeah, you have La Luna. Your, yeah. La Luna. Uh, you know, mezcal. To me, mezcal, and 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 I'm talking about all mezcals. That means Bacanora, Sotol, Raicia, some of those that you have. Probably, maybe you guys have not experimented with, but mezcal really defines the term terroir that they tried to that they borrowed benefits from in the tequila industry and aside from ocho you know which does every every iteration tastes different every time fortaleza is so well done that you could you know, you, you could age it in your tennis shoe and it'll come out great you know <laughs> um and some mezcals are the same way you know the, the microclimate makes a big deal the the region the hand of the maker the intent of the maker that to me that's an intangible you know, you can industrialize anything and lose the soul of the spirit because there's a reason they call it spirits. Okay, in my mm-hmm. opinion, that's a that's an intangible that that consumers are need they need to acknowledge more. Some people don't understand why they go after the widow Jane or the or the winter blend. You know why? Yeah, the flavor, but it's the intent of the maker, not just the hand. The hand is the marketing term because you can't in marketing you can't talk about intangibles because intangibles don't move product. Okay, so tangibles do. 
You say, what's the hand of the maker? Who's the maker? Well, it's, it's Guillermo Sousa. Ah, well, I'm going to buy it, you know, or uh, who's the maker? It's Carlos Camarena. I'm going to go buy it, you know. Uh, and it's the same it's the same idea. But but to me, the reason these guys are so good is because for years, for decades now, they have their intent has never changed. Intent of the maker. I really like that. Yeah, and that they've been doing it the same way for for years. That's wonderful. Even with El Tesoro, you know, now that Jim Beam is, has invested heavily into that brand, he is still overseeing that. His daughter now oversees that with an iron fist. You know, they have a certain way of doing it. Exactly. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And and they don't deviate from that because they they you know so so Beam takes their Sousa you know portfolio part of the tequila and industrialize the hell out of it and, and you know and that way they don't have to backpedal so they have something for everybody I mean that's what a portfolio is you know um, so anyway to me uh, to me the intangible really that needs to be acknowledged by, by guys like me and you and, and anybody else that's got a podcast or a teacher and, and, and can't, um, you know, there's something, uh, what the French call a je ne sais quoi, you know, I don't know what, right. <laughs> uh, that intangible, it's the intent of the maker. That's what you're sensing, you know, and, and with Carlos, it's really important for him because he and Tomas Estes were, were really good friends and he feels responsible now, now that Tomas has passed on, it's been a couple of years now, and Jesse, his son, has taken over the mantle. He feels responsible for, for continuing, you know, uh, uh, Tomas's legacy and keeping his memory alive. The other one that I would recommend you should have from, from the same distillery as Ocho is Curado. Uh, mm. if you, I don't know if you can find it where, where you, you guys are, but Curado is fantastic. Yeah, Corrado. I know that I have seen the bottles. I'm not sure if they're around here. Matt, you, you're familiar with it, right? Yeah, I've, I've seen on the internet, but I haven't seen them in stores. It is, um, it is an idea where you take a Blanco tequila, and they have three expressions. The Blanco is it has uh, it's um, for lack of a better term, but it is uh, infused with blue agave. Okay, so the the blanco is infused with blue agave. It's it's a blanco base for all three. The second okay. one is is infused with uh, espadine, which is oh which, yep okay from Oaxaca. And the third one, I believe, is a te, uh, tobala tepestate. I, I forget which one it is. It's another plant. It's another it's another uh, agave. Cupriata. Cupriata, yeah, and Cupriata is really, uh, depending on the region, it's very difficult to to grow. I mean, it takes like some crazy amount of years before you can harvest it. And what they do is they they have the blancos in tanks and then they they teabag it. That's how they infuse it. And they got to watch it because there there's only so many hours before you know you want you want that again like what you guys do. You don't want the flavor profiles to clash. Because there's right. there, there's another there's another brand out there um, made at a great distillery. Um, it's it's owned by Sammy Hagar and Guy Fieri. You mean this bottle right here, Santo Fino? <laughs> there you go. That's the one. Santo. I, I, I wanted Santo to ask Fino. you about celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's a legit one. Mm-hmm. There there I have a whole list of them that I I I wrote on uh, on Medium. 
but I can name them all to you. But that one's legit. And I just had that not too long ago, the whole line. But for me, Mesquila, that's how they that's how they brought the the to the market. Mesquila to me clashes. There's something about the way that the that the espadin, the mezcal, and the and the tequila clash because from one shot to the next to the next or sample, there, there's a there's a an inconsistency for me. So so when I had curado, that was much much nicer of a of a blend. The way they do it is they 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 have these roasted agave that are they they wrap in bags of muslin and then they just dip them on the top of the tank and keep watching them and keep watching them. And it's like a, so it's a tea bag basically. Yeah. And, and you let them do their thing and then you pull the tea bags as soon as you, you get the flavor that you want. Cause you can, you can, especially for me with, with tequila, with, with Blanco tequila and Espadín, you gotta be real careful because that Blanco alone is an excellent Blanco. So it's an art is what I'm saying. Right. And again, it's, it's the intent of the maker. And that was that was the last, I believe that was the last idea of Tomas Estes before he passed on. So so again, when we go back to circling back to the intent of the maker, I think that's the reason you guys really gravitate to some of these. And I and I I can see behind um uh Matt, you're you have like Siete Leguas, and and I know the family. I, I sat there at their table as they told us the story. The original patron. Yes, I, I love this idea of the intent of the maker, and I I think that there's probably two other people who who would fit this camp perfectly, Mike. Um, you know, Felipe Camarena, and I think we also have to mention Guillermo Sousa. Of Fortaleza. Oh, definitely. Felipe Camarena, which is who's it was Carlos's brother, another mad genius, somebody I, I've met in person, and the guy is just literally a, a mad scientist. Um, <laughs> if you've seen his idea of a taona, you know that that's a converted yeah. steamroller. Um, and Fortaleza is one of those where it's very special to me because we were myself and 35 other tequila nuts. Um we're the first ones to try. Uh, we were the first group to actually go uh, do a tour of tequila distilleries before tours were a thing. It was yeah. put on by um, a tequila forum that I belong to, myself and a lot of other guys. It was like the biggest blind date I've ever been on. And uh, <laughs> and, and we, yeah, literally, because yeah. we, you know, we all communicated, but we, we had we didn't know who we were. We didn't, you know, there were no pictures of us. There were like avatars. And so uh, somebody put together a tour and said, Hey, how, how about that? And uh, 35 of us said, yeah, let's go. And we were the first ones to have lot number one of Fortaleza Blanco at the, at, at Fortaleza before, before it wow. was rolled out to the world. That and, was pretty and, cool. And I think I've heard you talk about this in, on your podcast. Is this you went in and it was like an actual cave with bats? And yeah, it's a cave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a cave. There were no lights. You know, I, I mean, you literally there. I'm sure there were bats in there. You know, it was cold because <laughs> uh, it is underground, musty smelling and, and all kinds of. But all so, you know, when you do a tequila tasting, when we do a tequila tasting, there are three elements you watch. You look for sight nose and taste so in that evening in that afternoon one of those elements was taken from us 
And and the glassware we were using was was a hand blown shot glass. So it was a Fortaleza shot glass, which I still have. Uh, one of my night, one of my greatest stolen souvenirs. But I'm sure that's what they're for. <laughs> um, and that's so all we had. Number one, we had the wrong glassware. We couldn't see. We couldn't even see our hand in front of us. That's how dark it was. But we could. There were candles on some rounds of tables, and so blind. Literally, this was a blind tasting. When he rolled it out and we tasted it, I knew then he had something special that I haven't had up until that point, maybe Eradura before it was sold. It was amazing. It was creamy and it was, it had that flavor profile and it was sweet and, and oh my God, floored all of us, floored all of us. And, it, and I'll never forget that moment. Even now, every once in a while, I'll communicate with Guillermo and I'll say, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and visit your bar. I understand you have lights now, <laughs> you know, in your cave. Yeah. He says, we have lights now. We got a bar, you know, uh, but yeah, that's not how it was, man. We were, it was rustic. In fact, his, uh, his mother was still alive. His mother, Sylvia. I remember listening to Sylvia talk. I, I was talking to her, to his mother and she was even at her advanced age. She was beautiful. I mean, she had piercing blue eyes like he does to that day. She, she said to me, Domek ruined the brand as soon as they bought it. And if you understand the history of of Sousa, the Sousa tequila family, mm -hmm. they first sold to Domecq. I believe it was her father that sold it to Domecq, and it was Guillermo's grandfather. And Guillermo, um, you have to, if you haven't done any research on his family history, he'll tell you his family history, but he was being groomed to take over the Sousa family brand. That's why he understands tequila as well as he does. I mean, he was working at that distillery as a kid, he was 13 years old. He knows it from the ground up, literally the ground up. She was still upset. I mean, she was still, she had that fire in her eyes, you know, really ticked off about the whole thing. Even then, you know, and that was decades after. You can actually Google this on NPR. They didn't, uh, there was an interview with Guillermo on NPR. And you, if you Google that, you can find it. Listen to that podcast. Listen to that radio podcast. You'll hear Guillermo talking about how when he found out that the brand had been sold out from under him. You can still see, hear a catch in his voice. He still cries about it. You know, it was a very deep wound for the family, for him. Yeah, Mike, that's really interesting. We actually mentioned that story just briefly on one of our previous shows. We were throwing it back to one of our podcast leaders, Doug Price, on the Agave Social Club, where he actually had Guillermo on his show telling that story i think it's great yeah i've got that bookmarked actually matt it's the april 6 2022 show and we'll be sure to put a link to doug's show with guillermo Sousa, and uh i'll find this npr story and put a link to that as well again that's where the intent of the maker makes a big deal makes a big difference and and i i i acknowledge that to me i'm not afraid of acknowledging there's 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 this intangible that that's why you guys are gravitating to these great tequilas, these, you know, but don't be afraid to try some new stuff too, because intent is still there. Even if it's a contract brand, you know, passion is one thing, but intent is something else. I mean, you can, you, you walk through a, a, a distillery like where Santo Fino is made. And I was just there uh, in November of 2022 for another brand 
And I had always heard wonderful things about the El Viejito Distillery, but from other brand owners who have their tequilas made there. But I didn't know why. And it wasn't until I visited that distillery, which is considered small to mid-sized, and met the family and met the owner. And every one of those brands that have, they, they don't make, a, you know, they're not a big maquiladora. In other words, maquiladora is a big contract distillery uh, in Spanish. They're not a big one. They're very, very small. And everybody that I talked to would sing the praises of the family and the owner. And it wasn't until I met him that I understood why. He told me, and I wrote about this in an article for this particular brand. Uh, I'll even mention it. It's called, they're called Baja Riba, owned by three guys. And they make their tequila there where Santo Fino's made. And when I met the owner, Juan Eduardo Nunez, he, he speaks perfect English because he was educated in the United States. So it was nice to communicate with somebody even in both languages. And he said to me, you know, we don't have any, any proper tours, but go right ahead. He said, I got nothing to hide. You know, when somebody says to you, I got nothing to hide, I got no diffuser, I don't even know how a diffuser works, you go bananas, you go nuts, and you said, like, so we worked our way backwards, we went from the from the barrel room to, to the distillation area. Normally, when you do a tour, it's the other way around, they show you the process, and it wasn't until I got back from that wandering around that I said, you know, now I get it, now I understand there's an intrinsic feeling there's something there about the grounds about the family about the people and it and you can't again you can't put your finger on it but you can feel it and now i understand why why sammy and guy fieri chose that distillery do your research is all i guess I, all i gotta say go visit distilleries you know whether it, whether it's in the whiskey distillery you know go take those tours go see where four roses is made you know Go see what the big deal is about Buffalo Trace. Yeah, I mean, the intent and the passion, you know, I, I think it, it's easy to get excited about that if you can really get a sense of, of that intent and that passion. <clears throat> What's your take on the transparency of it all? In the whiskey world, too, I think we're just starting to evolve into what the consumer really wants more than what the makers are necessarily wanting to reveal. But it's it's the consumer that's demanding Hey, what's the mash bill? Hey, how long are you aging this? You know, things like that. So where, where do you see the intent and how it connects with the transparency of all that? Well, when you talk about transparency, you know, it, and you talk about tequila and mezcal and, and, and all the other agave spirit categories, um, transparency means a whole lot of different things. You know, it's a, the same word in Spanish, you know, for a plant, for instance, means something else in Zapotec, means something else in, in, in the region of Oaxaca, you know, and it's the same plant. So you gotta, it's like you need a scorecard to find out, you know, oh, it's the same plant. Okay. You know, like a cupriata is 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 a is called something else in another region. So as far as transparency goes, it's a cultural thing. Okay, let's put it that way. In Mexico, we've always done it like this. We, you know, additives have been have been allowed uh, under the normas, which are the rules and regulations for for tequila making for a long time. Yeah, I think we understand it's a cultural thing. We had Sean Miller and Jeff Ernst. They had brought on Primo Tequila. And that's exactly what they were talking about, was that the rules allowed for certain additives. And so when when we say additives in the States and we're talking to someone in Mexico, they think of two completely different things. The idea of additives 
and and if you read the normas, they're about finishing, polishing, consistency. Okay, they were never these additives were never meant to be abused. And what's going on is that due to the heavily industrialization, you know, the 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 rush to harvest young plants and the rush to overtake vodka, which scares the hell out of me, they start using more and more of these to attract the sweet palate. And they put them in pretty bottles and they twist the bottles and they, you know, they they make oh they make them out of porcelain. And, you know, if you look at the marketing now, the most uh, famous whatever porcelain bottle, they don't even talk to you about the juice. What about the juice? Oh, no, but the artisan made and it's all painted by hand and it's gold lame on top. And, you know, who gives a damn? What does the juice taste like? To me, I, I'd rather have those simple bottles like you have behind you. And so now with the diffuser and tequila, there has been an abuse of these additives. And here's these really nice brands like the ones that are behind, you know, Matt's shoulder. And the owners, the brand owners are going, you know what? I don't want any of this fake stuff. I don't want to overproduce. I don't want to, I want a plant that's at least five years old. You know, in the normas, in the day when I was coming, growing up and you know, coming along, and I've been at this now, just July we'll, with Tequila Aficionado, we, it'll be our 24th year doing tastings and having a magazine and, you know, not just online, but, you know, real magazine. And when you taste enough of these, you realize that the, the quality has dropped off and and people are drinking better because the owners of those brands behind you have been going, you know, we've been, we've been making it like this forever and we're not going to compromise. There's no compromise. In the normas, I was getting back to the normas. The normas don't actually say that you're a guy that has to be a certain age or a certain amount of bricks. That's never been part of the official. There's no wording. There's no numbers, no nothing. Some distillers preferred an older plant or they were looking for a, an average of 24 bricks and bricks is how they measure sugars, sugar content. When you hear like with with uh, ocho, you know, when you see those those piñas being unloaded at the at the new distillery, and they'll put underneath there if you some of the captions will say a minimum of thirty bricks. I mean, that's a lot of juice. That's a lot, and, and the piñas mm-hmm. are huge, right? And you know that used to be common. That used to be common, and it's not anymore. And now you're paying more. For industrialized tequila, you know, for because you're pretty bottle, it tastes really sweet. Um, so I think now with with the overproduction, the over harvesting, uh, stretching the plant to its limits, and the diffuser, which is really efficient, uh, the quality uh, of the finished blanco has dropped off. That requires additives to make it taste like like what Ocho tastes like or Fortaleza right. tastes like or, right. or Volans or, you know, all those uh, or anything, anything resembling a Mezcal. Me and Matt have gotten a little bit into Mezcal, Sotols, Ricea. We, we have explored a little bit and I know Matt geeks out on this a lot. I think it, <laughs> Matt, I think it pushes all of your scotch buttons, doesn't it? You know, I think it does. The 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 smoky features obviously got me into the world and it, it opened the door. But Mike, like what you were saying before with the intent of the maker, 
and you start to learn a little bit more about the process that they do, you know, it's it's so labor intensive, you know, the the roasting and the milling, the process of covering these up with hot stones and and letting them cook underground. It just sounds like so much work that they could never reproduce that with artificial flavors. They could never recreate that in a lab. Am, am I right, Drew? What do you think? No, ab- absolutely. Mike, what's your take on on mezcal? I, I like what the mezcal growers are doing, and I can't even call them an industry because they've imploded on themselves. You know, mm-hmm. first they were known as the CRM, and then they were known as first Comercam and CRM, and I don't know what the hell they're being called now. And at least during that time, uh, they were seeing the mistakes that were happening in the tequila industry. So we don't want the same mistakes. We have to plant for the future. And those communities are doing that. There are several brands that are out there doing that, re, you know, reforesting. They're, they're replanting. And anybody said you couldn't grow it from seed? Yeah, you can. Because they do it in mezcal all the time. And that's where the transparency comes in, to get back to transparency. Uh, unless people like you, people like us, you know, when we teach other people, when we, when we do our, our tastings and you talk to your you know, your whiskey buddies or your mezcal buddies, that's important. You have to, you have to drill that in because it's not something culturally that Mexico has ever worried about. Yeah. Well, and, and the consumer, I think the consumer is getting smarter too, right? But it's about time. You know, yeah. we've been saying that for 10 years, at least, <laughs> at least the last 10 to 15 years, the consumer's getting yeah. smarter. The consumer's getting smarter. Well, you know how smart they are? They're so sick and tired of the cookie cookie cutter flavor profiles that they are sensing in tequila that they are migrating to the other agave spirits. Mm-hmm. Again, like I said, if you age mezcal in your tennis shoe, it's gonna it's gonna taste like, you know, this tastes like a converse, man. No, no, no. This is this is a this is a this is a, a this is a, a Jordan air, right? Something, whatever. That's the beautiful part about mezcal. And I think people are migrating to that. They're getting so smart and they're sick and tired of not getting told the truth in tequila. It's just not, you know, it only means something to us in the United States. You know, one of the biggest markets that the the tequila industry is going after is in China. The verified uh, additive free seal, they can't use that. It doesn't mean anything in China. I'm not sure about uh, about organic, certified organic, because those seals mean something in the United States. You have to qualify to get that. And by and large, all Blanco tequilas are considered kosher. Uh, But, you know, some distilleries prefer to have the rabbi come out and get certified every couple of years. And that's cool. I'm good with that. But diffuser juice in China going (laughs) at like gangbusters. Sure. Overseas in Asian countries, they love it. They love it. And there's a that's a big market. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a place for industrialized agave spirits. And there's a place for it not to be. Yeah. Uh, and you decide what side of the fence you want to be on, you know. Yeah. And, and, I, and I definitely want to ask you, I definitely want to ask you about like, you know, how, what you see your job and, and to a lesser degree, maybe what our jobs are. You mentioned something that was interesting about the, the, the blend, the blending of the agave spirits, like blending a tequila with a mezcal or, or different spirits. Do you see that as a way that maybe the U.S. can get more involved in manufacturing? Do you see maybe the blending as another way to, I don't know, to increase their niche in the market? I I don't see that happening uh, for a few reasons. One, 
I'm I'm familiar. Uh, I'm in contact with Craig Reynolds, who is who is spearheading the uh, the California Agave Spirit, the, the California Agave Council, and he was. Um, if you're not familiar with him, he has a brand of Mexican agave spirit. It is it is distilled uh, from blue agave, and uh, excuse me, it is grown from with and made with blue agave grown three miles outside the denomination of origin of tequila in Colima, right at the foot of a volcano, just like just like tequila. But he can't call it tequila. He doesn't want to. He went, you know, he goes in as agave spirit. It is some of the beefiest, most beautiful agave spirit. And he has a Blanco, Reposado, and Añejo. With that experience, he wanted to, he used to work in, in the California politics. And, and so he wanted to bring those plants that, that are drought resistant to Central California because he could see that there was a problem. We were in a drought. A lot of that area was losing. They couldn't buy water from the Colorado River anymore. Farmers were having a problem. And they said, let's try blue agave. Let's try that. Let's try other agave. And the smaller micro distilleries around the area were wanting to distill something. And that's how it started. Craig Reynolds brings up a himador, you know, a couple of himadores who are trained to do that job, to harvest it. And it's all done by hand. You, and he doesn't hide anything. It's all on his Instagram. If you guys are on Instagram, you can check it out. I don't see them ever blending anything with tequila. That's not that's not in the cars. None of those small micro distillers want to do that. From what I've been able to gather, because we also taste a lot of um, agave spirits uh, from micro distillers throughout the U.S. We get submitted several of those, and they make it from agave syrup, which turns into like a, a rum more often mm-hmm. you know and, and they do that because they want to they want to just amplify their portfolio you know because they make a great whiskey or they make a great bourbon in their own barrels and some of them do it really well some of them not so much uh there's one in ohio in fact first of all the the, the distillery is called western reserve they are a certified organic distillery again remember this is a control state so They're known for having great whiskeys and great bourbons, and they use only organic grains that they buy that's like within 50 miles of their distillery. I mean, they're very stringent as to their parameters. So I get a call one day from the owner of the distillery. He says, I want to advertise in your magazine. I said, great, let's taste your juice because I have an agave spirit, and this is how we make it. They purchase blue agave concentrate. From a company in Jalisco, which I was not even aware of, that's multi-certified, and that's what this company does. They grow their own blue agave. They process it. It is multi-certified. It's certified kosher, organic, halal, gluten-free, which is ridiculous because all tequila is gluten-free anyway. Uh, But, you know, that doesn't matter. They're all certified, right? And... Then they take this concentrate, they ship it, and from there, they sell it to micro distillers, and it's very expensive. It's not cheap, okay, because it's certified organic. That's what Western Reserve makes their, you know, they they distill it, they age it in their own barrels, and I got to tell you, when he sent me the, the sample, it's a hair under a really good Highlands Blanco. Really? If you were to taste it blind, if you hadn't had enough of those... It's outstanding. They're called Western Reserve. And I got to tell you, it's a, it's a quality product. As far as the United States agave spirit, 
put that distillery in, in the book, Agave Spirits Around the World, and it's got a great flavor profile too. Getting back to, to uh, Matt's question, what my job, my job is to discover what's new in Agave Spirits and to, to give these brands a voice because look how saturated this market is, man. It's dominated by the big major distillers. The, 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 the transnational corporations are dominating it. They're pushing this industry. They're the ones that are pushing the tequila industry to its limits. And the CRT is letting them, uh, you know, because it's all about the money. So let me ask you, Mike, these larger companies buying these smaller companies, is it really working for them? The longer you stay in the tequila industry, especially the way you see them run it, the more you realize that it, it there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of um, there's a lack of transparency. There's a lot of illusory transparency. A lot of marketing spin from people that don't understand the industry, have never studied it. I've heard it in the past from somebody who knew somebody in the Brown Foreman family that said we should never have bought Eridura. We don't understand the culture, you know. I, I thought that was eye-opening. I, I can't even tell you who that was, but to hear that, it makes sense to me because look what they did to the Aradura bottle. They brown formed mm -hmm. it, man. You know, and it's and it's just, I get it. It's streamlining it. It makes it more cost-effective to do it this way. If you're not familiar with how a diffuser works and how it's presented to the public, take a look at the uh, at an Instagram page. Uh, I've shared this this video it was made for the Sousa brand where the master distiller walks you through the diffuser process and how clean it is and industrial and antiseptic. But, you know, you spin it and the person writing the copy and you have some guy with some, you know, some very uh, chemical engineer, you know, is very well studied with a beautiful accent. You know, it sounds exotic. And the next thing you know, you're, oh, I love it. That's cool. Look at how great this is. That's a diffuser, folks. That's how this works. And they're not going to tell you that they use acid hydrolysis. They insist that they use hot water. How hot can that water get, man? Well, let's find out. You know, uh, from a pH standpoint, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. But they have that video. It's out on Instagram. It's that's what I consider illusory transparency. You know, the one thing you you notice about videos like that versus distillers that like the guys, the people you have behind you is that you look at those videos of any of those that there's another one on YouTube that I have I have on a playlist uh, from a, another famous distillery that hide, doesn't hide anything. He's a diffuser guy. And the one thing you notice about that is that the only people that are working are the chemical engineers. There's mm -hmm. no labor force. There's nobody. You don't employ anyone. They don't hire anyone. In fact, I've seen videos of, of that particular distillery. They talk about how Minimal amount of people touch the agave, so they're more efficient. That's a great way of spinning it and going, yeah, the only guy, the only labor we got is the guy who's got the bulldozer that pushes it into the into the conveyor belt and 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 mounts it onto the diffuser. There's nobody there chopping it in half. There's no there's no guys throwing them in the in the wood uh, wood burning uh, oven or or an autoclave. You know that that takes that's labor, but they don't hire anyone. They don't create jobs. They create jobs for educated people, and I'm I'm okay with that. But when you got both working for you, you know, then you got the best right. of both worlds. Well, and so, that's that's yeah. when they can bring out the intent, like you were talking about earlier. 
Exactly. And the other thing I think that's important is to get to know who you're going to follow. Get to know, ask the questions. Is there a person behind this? You know, if you're going to go, if you're going to go the micro distiller route, get to know the micro distiller. Get to know this guy. Go visit them. Take a take a tour of bourbon country, you know, but uh, or every state's got micro distillers. I know Denver, Colorado has got several. One of our tasters uh, in uh, in Colorado, he's a he's a certified bourbon steward, a WSET wine psalm. And at the same time, he was taking our course, the consumer catador course. I asked him, I said in an email, I said, why did you even choose this? What, why? He goes, Anybody that tells you that they know everything about spirits is lying to you. This is about the wisest thing I've ever heard anybody say. This is the guy, every time I do a tasting with him, it's always fun. And I'm constantly learning. That's that's why, you know, when I did the mezcal tasting with, with Jim in Ohio, I said, you're walking me through this because I got no bar for scotch. If, you know, if you guys were on staff, I would have let, done had done the same thing. I would have said, you guys lead. You guys tell me. Because I can I can pull out the tequila stuff. I can go there, but there's something there I'm not getting. I don't understand it. Oh, Mike, I know that if you have just invited us to be some of your master tasters, some of your catadores for a tequila aficionado, I know we're in. Yeah, sign um, me up. <laughs> but in the meantime, we've been talking for about an hour and a half. Let's wrap up part one, and then we'll just start up with part two. So, uh, you know, Matt, why don't you close us out here? All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mike. Let's just give, give us a quick little break here. We want to thank all of our listeners. We want to ask you to like and follow and subscribe. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Whiskey Tequila Fridays. We want to thank Joby at Forsha Creek, as always, for our music. And we ask that you drink responsibly. And if you like drinking whiskey and you like drinking tequila, then it's always a Friday. Happy Friday, Drew. Happy Friday, Matt. Oh, we appreciate y'all hanging, but now it's time to go. Well, come on back for more whiskey to keep the Friday show. Hey, guys. Matt. Matt, can you hear me? Mike, can you hear me? Oh, what the fuck? It's only been three years. You'd think I'd have this by now.